Ezekiel 34. For the Lord God says this, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd cares for his flock on a day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing place will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in a good grazing place and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will feed my flock, and I myself will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will eliminate. I will feed them with judgment. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says to them. Behold, I, I myself, will also judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Since you push away with your side and shoulder and gore all the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad, therefore I will save my flock and they will no longer be plunder and I will judge between one sheep and another. Then I will appoint over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. A reading from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, beginning in verse 20, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me either. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God. So, as normal, we're doing our Old Testament reading. Our uh, second reading is from Ephesians, and our gospel reading is we're finishing up Matthew. Um, so, this is the last week in ordinary time, and so next week, well, next week, we, I don't know, we haven't decided yet because we're we read the, this, these are the scripture readings for the upcoming Sunday. And so this upcoming Sunday is the last Sunday in ordinary time. So maybe for the podcast or for the live stream, we'll change the pyramid to the color. Anybody? Purple. Purple for Advent. So uh, if at all, if you're following um, or paying attention to how those scripture readings, like we jumped from Judges, we did one um, section in Judges last week, and then we jumped, we're no longer going anything chronological, we jumped to Ezekiel, and this is the only week we'll be in Ezekiel, and then we start uh, the Christian New Year, which is Advent, and we have specific readings for Advent, and then Christmas tide and so on, until the next ordinary time, which is, what is that, after Easter? I think, or after Pentecost. 
So, so anyways, um, so these are specific verses uh, in leading up to the week before Pentecost. We're not really going, last week was kind of the last one chronologically. Um, but they also tie in with the gospel reading of Matthew. So I want to start off with um, Ezekiel, and just to throw some some things out there and how to get more reading, how to get more out of your Bible reading. And so uh, I always thought it would be easier if God didn't give us like this really thick book. <laughs> like I wish I really like the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, because you're like, all right, there's ten, and then I don't even memorize the whole thing. I just memorize the summarized version that I have in my head. <laughs> you know, like. Um, like, uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Not like the whole thing, just the shorter version, because I'm simple. And I wish it was, I always have this, like, dichotomy in my mind that I like that it's so big and so vast, but I'm also like, why does it got to be so big? And why does it got to be so much reading? And so something to understand, especially <coughs> when we're reading uh, prophetic literature, is that God designed us in such a way that uh, although maybe some other people are like me that we desire just the straightforward, like, what do I do? What does this mean? Uh, just give me the answers. And so I can kind of like shut my brain off and not think about it. Um, he designed us in such a way that we would actually love him with our minds and uh, we would get more out of it the more, the more we study. Just like uh, when we talk about you know Isaiah 40, verse 8, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And not just that it stands forever, the test of time, but that it's, it's infinite in depth because God is infinite in, in depth of knowledge and, uh, and who he is, and you can never know him fully. And so the more we read, the really more we get out of it. And so um, some of the prophetic literature is a little hard. This one's, they kind of throw us a, uh, softball here with uh, this Ezekiel passage with um, the Lord being the great shepherd and appointing, you know, David a king over his throne and for us to serve serve him and 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 stuff. But uh, we really we really will get more out of it the more we kind of just like meditate on it and think about it, and because there's no ends to the depths of the scriptures, and so um, God uses things. Like, here's a, it sounds kind of stupid, and I'm not downplaying anyone's intelligence here and asking really easy questions, but who was Ezekiel written to directly? The Israelites, the Jews, right? wasn't written to, uh, you know, the Canaanites or whoever. It was written to the Israelites. And so one thing about the Israelites is that they were shepherds. Right? There's this shepherding thing all throughout Scripture. It starts with Abel. Uh, Abel brought an offering. Um, uh, uh, it doesn't say, I don't think it says specifically of sheep, but of, of livestock. And Abraham had livestock and sheep. And then you get to Jacob, who directly dealt with sheep. And then Israel, Jacob turned into Israel, uh, is coming into Egypt. And why did the, what's one reason why the Israelites were hated in Egypt? Because they were shepherds, and so they got Goshen, right? And so if you think of how you're just geographically in that, like they weren't like refiners of gold or fine metals. They, this is like a lower end of the totem pole type of thing. Um, 
we think we might think like, oh, sheep are kind of cool and you need clothes and you use their wool. And it wasn't like everyone was dying to get like their hands on these sheep. Like these are awesome. <laughs> like this was like a huge metropolitan nation uh, where, you know, was just bounding in decadence and sheep weren't the highest, you know, commodity that everyone was dying to get. It was things like gold and fine linens and, and things like that and dyes and, and stuff. And so Israel had always been looked down on because they were shepherds, right? And ever since Israel and, uh, or ever since, you know, they were in Egypt. And so God uses these pictures because he wrote it to, wrote Ezekiel to the Israelites who would know exactly what it was like to be a shepherd. And uh, if I had done more preparing and uh, had more time, I would have done some research on what it was like being a shepherd. I don't really know. It would benefit us all to understand maybe what shepherding is like. We do know from the scriptures that, um, that David protected the sheep, right, from lions and bears and tigers. Oh my. And, uh, and there's, a, there's that protection aspect. And then, you know, from the parables of like the lost sheep that there's, you know, and this is, you know, mirroring or the parable of the lost sheep is directly mirroring this Ezekiel passage. Uh, like there's obviously a very careful watch over your flock. Even the Proverbs say, you know, careful, no, you know, no careful, the um, paraphrasing how your flock is doing and things like that. And so this was a, a, a piece of prophetic literature that like these people would have known deeply. And so, but luckily, uh, God's smart enough to know that uh, the Bible is going to get to the 21st century America where no one's ever, maybe even some people have never even seen a sheep except for on YouTube or, or TV <laughs> or something. And so he tells us, you know, directly what we're supposed to get out of it, right? There's a very clear designation in, in this passage that uh, there's sheep that are scattered abroad and he's bringing them back, right? He could have, um, you could be a, a dog herder or something and same thing or, or whatever in different, um, you know, in a different context. So just knowing more about the, uh, you know, maybe the literature or the, the parable or the analogy that's using helps us to actually understand it a little bit deeper. And so the only thing I really know about it, about sheep and what it means to, to raise sheep is I once saw an episode of Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe where he had to do some things with sheep and it was very dirty. And beyond that, I know that like um, sheep could, uh, I've been told that like sheep aren't the smartest creatures and uh, obviously they get lost, right? They're not um, a pack that's like going to always stay together. It seems like they get lost a lot through at least through a lot of the parables and, and, and things in the scriptures. And so, and then, so using that and knowing more about like what is, uh, what is designated in the scriptures and what he's talking about would, would prove to be fruitful, but also just knowing the direct context. So Ezekiel's in the fifth year of the deportation. It's not that far in, right? Comparatively speaking, how, how long it's going to take. And so, this is at the beginning of, of the, the deportation when all of the Jews have been scattered. And so this isn't, uh, they're already scattered, so know the context, know what's going on um, 
line it up in the, in the timeline. Directly in Ezekiel, he says in the fifth year of the deportation at the beginning. Uh, so most of the time that Ezekiel's writing, he's in, he's in exile. And so, uh, so no, you know, that, that context comes in play. And so one more thing just to throw out there, that there's usually a double meaning or, um, or there's a deeper meaning or there's a, some people would describe it as like a spiritual meaning. Um, or, you know, and then there's a lot of things in scripture where the meaning isn't what you thought. I watched a 10 minute video from R.C. Sproul this week on how he explained that when normally in our Western way of thinking, if we didn't read a lot of the scriptures, we would think when Jesus or the scriptures say the son of God, we would think more about his deity. And then when the scriptures say the son of man, we'd think more about his humanity, where in the scriptures it's exactly opposite. And so when you think of when it says son of God, he's really talking more about his humanity. Um, and that starts all the way back in Genesis 6 of, of the children of God and, uh, and go and look through Matthew and the genealogy and whatnot. And then when you hear the son of man, know that he's speaking and referring to Daniel, which is talking about uh, one who can approach the throne of God, which would uh, have to be deity and, and everything that's wrapped up in Daniel 7. And so anyways, so in here, there's, there's a double meaning. So he's talking directly about these sheep that are scattered abroad. He's going to bring them back. He's going to execute judgment. He's going um, to judge those fattened calves or those fattened sheep that, that have pushed uh, the other sheep pretty much into the dispersion, right? He uses that language that there's uh, those who have like, they've used their shoulders to push. And there's actually, he's using the language that says like the sheep have pushed the sheep into being scattered. And so contextually think, speaking, um, we would think that's not really what happened historically, right? The uh, Assyrians came in and captured them and took them away. But you got to think in terms of the whole, uh, after there's already been a kingdom split and the nation was divided and uh, spiritual adultery all over the place and, uh, and whatnot. There's, the, there's a bigger issue of God's not saying he's coming to judge the nations around him, around them, around the people of Israel and bring them back. He's going to judge those within the nation of Israel who have made themselves fat and have kept the other ones thin. And so, um, so there's that direct meaning, right? He's, he's talking about li literally the nation of Israel, um, about contextually what's happening. But then there's what the Westminster Confession would call the general equity. Uh, so the general equity of the law is, uh, if there was... Well, here's a double down. If that was just, if Ezekiel is just written to the Jews and it's about them, then why the heck would I read it? <laughs> it has no use for me today, right? Uh, and if I think all that has been fulfilled in 1948 or whenever Israel became a nation, then again, has really no uh, application to me because that's just to the Jewish nation. And so, yeah, it does, there is that meaning, but the general equity refers to um, just how Paul would use, like, do not muzzle the ox when he's treading out grain to apply in one of the Timothys, Second uh, Timothy, I think, maybe it's First Timothy, um, about why you should pay pastors. And he says, is God concerned with cattle? No, he's concerned with us. And so he's applying this Levitical law uh, to the, the church today and how it applies to them today. 
So that's just the general equity of all. You could read that in the Westminster Confession. There's a whole section on it. Go and read it. Um, and that was way back in the 1600s, I think. Um, and so the general equity is like that. We can actually use these scriptures today. God has always, and, and that's not just, we're not taking that out of thin air. That's a scriptural principle that, um, that all of scripture is applicable uh, today. It's not that he's, so it's not that he's going to bring back the nation of Israel and, and restore their land. Surely that was in the play and what's going on. But there's a deeper meaning behind it that the Lord's talking about. He's coming to judge, right? And we, this is a really easy one for us to see about how he sets up his servant David. He's coming to judge those who have made themselves fat. It says if we were to read into, <coughs> into verse 17, uh, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats, Right? Um, is it not is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water? Right, he's judging within his own people. Um, sounds a lot like Matthew twenty four, doesn't it? Between sheep and goats and separating. Right, so this imagery is is all throughout Scripture, and they do uh, at least overlap. And so you know this is foreshadowing and looking forward to a time when Christ is going to come in the first century and judge the nation of Israel, right? And especially against those leaders who had um, whored themselves out spiritually to the surrounding nations and to the surrounding cultures and not, you know, following, um, you know, not just the the law of God, but uh, missing the Christ and everything. And so, uh, but... We also understand that although that was prophetically speaking about Christ, he's still doing the same things today. God still judges in his people, in the heavenly Jerusalem, in the true Israel, in the church today, those who are in charge of flocks who fatten themselves, right? So this isn't, again, it'd be easy to say, oh, well, that, you know, applied to Christ in the first first century and that Christ coming and we see that that was fulfilled and that's our apologetic to show that Ezekiel knew what he was talking about and but what do we glean from it today that there are it is part of our nature that we want to fatten ourselves and for you know for our own gain and that we keep others lean and when you look at that in the Matthew passage when he says when he identifies in Matthew like the only thing that he identifies in Matthew about in this final judgment, and we'll get to that, of why it's the final judgment, in a minute of the only thing that delineates in this part of Scripture between who is sitting on the sheep side on the right and the goat side on the left is what? Those who fed those who were hungry, those who clothed those who were naked, those who... Uh, was it visited those who were in prison? Or am I thinking, is that in there? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's similar things in John. And so it's not that, it's not on any other basis in this, in this section in Matthew that, that Jesus is deciding and separating who's the sheep and the goats. It's who took care of one another when there was a need, when they saw, and these are, and this is within, 
the context of, of sheep and goats. I think it's within God's people. And so um, just think about those things like, you know, there's that shepherding theme all throughout Scripture, John 10. Uh, the people would know these things like really well. Uh, this is, I'm just going to do a sidebar. I thought this was really funny. Let's go to John 10 real quick. We all know that when Jesus says like, you know, I am the true gate, I am the true shepherd and all these things. Um, these scriptures would have been like, in their minds, they knew the prophets. So I'll just read a little bit, maybe, uh, sorry, at verse 31. I've even got, you know, in here, I've got Ezekiel 34 written in my notes. So truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, by the door, but climbs in another way, the man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door of the sheepfold of but he, I'm sorry, but he who, who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so he goes on to that a little bit. Look at verse six. And this, I just find this kind of funny. Um, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. These are people, now in, in this time in Israel, there weren't, uh, as many shepherds, they weren't a shepherding people anymore. But it's all throughout the scripture. It's here in Ezekiel, it's clear. And in other parts, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, uh, you know, it's all throughout there. And they had no understanding. And these are things that they were supposed to know. It's like when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and, you know, he doesn't understand that like someone has to be born again. And Jesus says, like, are you not a teacher of the law and you don't understand these things? It's very like, man, like this guy got like all the way up here. Like Nicodemus is like teaching the law, but like the most basic of, you know, kingdom principles he didn't understand. And so, you know, unless obviously unless the Lord opens our minds to understand or we're not going to see these things. But, you know, the more we can, you know, uh, just cry out to God and, and, and dive into the scriptures and, uh, and just look at these things of like, you know, what does it mean to be a shepherd? What does that mean to be part of a flock and start tying all these things together um, would be largely beneficial. And so um, let's just go straight to Matthew. Uh, we might skip Ephesians. <coughs> I should have put, her, I put hermeneutics on there, but I do want to quickly note um, that this is, uh, a lot of people get confused by like, what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about the end judgment? Is he talking about, uh, is he still talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and things like that? And, and so uh, in here, these things take, this is, these are hard scriptures to understand sometimes, but if you just take your time and you weigh scripture against scripture, I think these things will become clear. And I think there's an importance as to why uh, this points to the final judgment and not to, and how we can see that instead of the judgment on Jerusalem in 70 AD. So if you notice when he's talking in here, uh, he's, not, he's not saying a parable. He's not saying the kingdom of God is like this, right? He had just had the parable of the 10 virgins and the talents. And as we talked about last week, last, yeah, because we skipped two weeks ago would have been the uh, virgins, is that the those parables are all about 
uh, working, faithfulness, and being ready. Right? There's no, in this part of Scripture, it's not about who's ready and who's not ready. It's about who has worked and, and had the mind of Christ to identify in God's people that someone's in need and I did something to help them. Right? This is a, uh, this is a kind of post facto. This is Jesus looking back and saying, I'm separating, so something has already happened, and now I'm choosing sides and showing you where those people belong, right? It's not looking forward to faithfulness or being ready um, in any particular way. And so uh, look at um, chapter 24, verse 30. So this is where I can see it, it starts to get a little confusing sometimes. In chapter 24, verse 30, we read, uh, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Oh my gosh, he just said in verse 31 in chapter 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, like, there's two comings? What's going on here? Are there, does Jesus Christ come twice? Um, but it says, read carefully, will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And so it doesn't say that he's coming. It says, in heaven, there's a sign, right? There's something in the sky that the Son of Man, and there's a sign of that. And so that is different from, in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So what's the difference? When Jesus Christ came the first time, did he come in glory? No, he came in humility. He came, did he come with myriads of angels, uh, <laughs> behind him? <laughs> no, <laughs> right? And so this is, uh, most commentators see this as the switch anyways, and so just be aware when you're reading that uh, even though the, there's no time frame in between verse 30 and 31, we're talking about something else. And so when you're reading, you have to go slow sometimes, especially in those thick chapters, those heavy chapters of what's going on. And so there's, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and he sits on his glorious throne, there's the switch, right? That's the difference between seeing the sign of man, uh, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Um, and so, you know, so with that, we're looking at uh, one of the things that, you know, most Christian commentators are, you know, aware and because all of this is a warning of judgment. All of this is something that I think we've gotten away in in our Christianity, just in the West, of even in even in being like a heavily post millennial church, we think of like what are we doing to work for Christ's kingdom today? And we sometimes think uh or oh, I'm sorry, we often forget about that there is a final judgment. And uh you know, my mind tends to go more towards like I'm alive, what can I do for the Lord today in his kingdom, and how can I work for him? And I don't as often think about, uh, you know, someday I'm going to be with him forever. And so there's another uh, kind of double meaning. There should be, in some sense, uh, the warning. I'm not, I shouldn't say fear of judgment, but at least a warning of judgment. There is an end judgment. When, uh, when we die, you know, to be out of the body is to be with the Lord, and we will be with the Lord forever. And he does judge. He will judge all wickedness, all evil, everywhere for, the, for all the time. And 
So that's something that we need to, uh, to preach, be aware of. Like that's, that is the end of time. That is the end of all of creation is that God's going to sit on his throne and he's going to judge all of, uh, all the earth. And, but our hope is in reward, right? I tend to think more on, on, this is just my own way of thinking of, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I guess not condemned and maybe have that fear of judgment as much. And we shouldn't have fear of judgment as, as, uh, children of the Lord, but the, but the hope of reward should capture us of that. Like he is in this end judgment, he does judge and he does separate and we will be with him forever. And that's our reward to, uh, just read the last verse in here. Um, I'm sorry, the last couple of verses. Uh, one second. I'm sorry, verse 41. Um, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And again in verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so that's our hope. Like, that's what we should be looking forward to. That's what we should be clinging to is, is though we work and we prepare and we uh, understand the parables of the, of the virgins and the talents of we work and we're ready and we're faithful today, but there is a reward coming that we'll be with the Lord, we'll be with him forever. And so, um, you know, as we look at this, the, the biggest distinguishing mark is that God's people is that those sheep were the ones that saw the need of other sheep and, uh, and helped them pretty much, right? They were actually doing something. They were, it's not, it could get a little confusing because you look at like the parable of the 10 virgins and those, uh, there's five that were not prepared and they're like, no, get out of here. Like, you know, and then a chapter later or the rest of the chapter later, he's saying, wait, there was somebody in need and he gives to them why didn't the parable of the 10 virgins, why didn't they give their oil, <laughs> right? It almost seems like contradictory in a way of thinking. But it's because it's, it's, there's two completely different points, right? And, um, you know, something we often get away from is that, uh, which verse is it? Did I write it on here? Verse 39, that like Jesus always identifies with his people, It should, should say verse 40. I don't know why I said verse 40, 39. Um, and the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Right? The same concept when Paul, uh, uh, when Saul is, um, when Christ reveals himself to Saul on the road to Damascus, you know, uh, Saul's accused of persecuting Jesus and he's persecuting the church. Right, and so you know, with that, like we should have um, heavy in our minds that you know he doesn't say, "I knew the depths of their heart, and I saw into them, and I judged those who were uh, happy towards Jesus on this side, and those who are not happy towards Jesus on this side." It's fruit, right? It's there's actually a way, and this is what the scriptures always point to: is that 
a tree bears fruit, and you can identify it by its fruit. That there's things, there's markings of true Christianity that you can actually identify. And that's called fruit. And uh, go study what biblical fruit is. Um, Not just fruit of the Spirit and these maybe internal emotions and things that I have towards God, but read Titus. Like he encourages them, like, good works is said like a hundred times in like 12 verses. Like, I commend them to just do good works and do good works and do good works. And I'm not preaching a works-based theology, but good works are part of who we are as a people. And it would be scary, I think, uh, if you, if like Paul came back and he saw, you know, what we call the 80-20 rule is that like 20% of people in any given church do 80% of the work. Uh, and that's just normal nowadays. It's like, like Paul would flip or something. He'd roll over in his grave. Um, you know, not saying that like doing things in the church saves you, but uh, but we should be looking for the needs of the people. We should be looking and knowing that Jesus identifies with his people, especially those in need that we should be looking for how to serve them. Just like First Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's good stewards of God's varied grace. And so I just commend us, you know, in looking with, especially at Matthew, to, to be encouraged towards just serving one another, looking for a need, and thinking about how, um, especially within our church, and especially in times like this, uh, where some people are, you know, uh, rightfully self-quarantining or doing something that, uh, that how, how can, just saying, how can we help them? Or, you know, not just with the quarantine or anything, but like in, in every need, how can we be people of good works towards one another who Jesus identifies with? Amen. Let's pray and then uh, we'll worship. Uh, Father, we just look to you. Uh, We pray that you would uh, lift our eyes as we come to worship you. You would give us a greater vision of of who you are, that we would uh, see you as the judge of all the earth, that you will sit on your judge. You will uh, separate uh, your people. You will separate all people into eternal life or eternal death. Uh, We pray that we would understand these things deeper and that we would work for your glory. Amen.